I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 142, 142nd Psalm of David, a Psalm of David, I should say, and we will read God's Word under the heading of a refuge for the lonely, a refuge for the lonely from Psalm 142. beginning with the title, A Maskeel of David When He Was in the Cave, A Prayer. With my voice I cry out to the Lord, with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him, I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, You know my way, and the path where I walk. They have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to You, O Lord. I say, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to Your name. The righteous will surround me, for You deal bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. May we receive it with a believing heart. Dear congregation, you may be surprised to learn that with all the ubiquity of cell phones, social media, and FaceTime, and cheap flights which have made connecting the world so much easier than it's ever been, that there is an epidemic of loneliness in North America. Now, we will all feel lonely from time to time, but the loneliness which I'm speaking of is an excessive loneliness. An all-consuming loneliness that can interfere with our daily lives. This is something that statisticians and people, healthcare professionals, have come to notice And the Cigna Group, which is a healthcare organization, reports that 63% of men post the COVID-19 pandemic and 58% of women report that their life is characterized, or at least in some part, by loneliness. Those numbers will only increase if you're between the ages of 18 and 24, if you're a minority or someone with a lower income. In some cases, going as high as 10% higher than the average. Loneliness is a major issue in the culture in which we live. And statistically, there are many people in this room who struggle with loneliness. The feeling that they are on the outside looking in, socially isolated. Statistically, it's not something we can ignore. ignore. Nor may we ignore the subject because the Scriptures are full of examples of Bible characters enduring loneliness. You can think of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 fleeing from Jezebel. So lonely he becomes suicidal. Even the Lord Jesus Himself was lonely. And we come here this morning to Psalm 142. Written by the future King David, 
But notice where he writes the psalm. Not as he is triumphantly riding into Jerusalem with the women singing, David has, or Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. He is not feasting at the king's table as his son-in-law, nor is he at his best friend Jonathan's house. You see what we call the superscript, the title at the top of Psalm 142 says, a maskeel, probably this is the tune, of David when he was in the cave. He's alone. And he likely wrote this while he was fleeing from Saul and his army. We read about this in 1 Samuel 22, where he escapes to a cave system about 13 miles west of Bethlehem, where before his family and the mighty men gather around him, he pens a prayer about how alone he is. He is remarkably honest in this psalm that there are few things harder in life than having troubles and being alone. Have you ever experienced this? The Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren wrote, the soul that has to wade through deep waters has always to do it alone. Is this true of your experience? We have companions in joy, but in sorrows we face them by ourselves. So Psalm 42 then is about this. David cries out to God in loneliness and in his grief. But the psalm does not end on a a note of lament. God draws near. And God comforts His servant. He comforts him with His presence. He comforts him with Jesus who is our refuge. My most dear friends, are you lonely today? Are you part of the 60 to 50 to 70% of people who feel isolated and unhappy? Psalm 142 is for you. It's for me. And for each of us that feel alienated from one another. The theme of our time together this morning is that the Lord knows our way and is our safe refuge. The Lord knows our way and is our safe refuge. I want to show you this in three points. David's path, David's portion, and David's petition. David's path, his portion, and his petition. Let's look first. David mentions in verse 3 that his life is like a path. The way in which he walks. If you know anything about David's life, David's life is far from easy. He reveals to us that his path is not a casual stroll through the daisies. His path is very hard. Look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. He makes known that his life is full of troubles. And we know this. When Samuel anointed David in 1 Samuel 16, God placed him on a path, a path towards the throne of Israel. 
But the path was far from easy. We're told in the very next chapter that the whole army of Israel cowered before Goliath. And it was the little shepherd armor bearer who went out to fight. We are told that when he was raised to the office of general in Saul's army and was given military victory, that Saul becomes jealous of him. And four times in 1 Samuel, plot, Saul plots to attempt his life. Make an attempt on his life. Once by letting him die in war. Once he tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. Once with an ambush. And once he had him over for dinner with an attempt to kill him. Now Saul, in chapter 22, has pursued David all the way to the Philistine border in an attempt to take his life. The path that God has David on is hard. Put it another way, if your father-in-law tries to kill you once, it would be hard. Imagine four times. By God's grace, I'm not speaking from experience. But the point I'm trying to make is that the path that David on is very challenging. Yet maybe the hardest thing he has to deal with in his life, up to this point though, is not the attempts on his life, is not trusting in the Lord to defeat Goliath. The hardest thing he may have had to deal with is being alone. We're told in 1 Samuel 22, that he escapes to this cave of Adullam, but where is his wife? Michal. It says that he leaves her behind and Saul gives her to another man. He's in the cave, but where is Jonathan? Chapter 20 says Jonathan has to, he has to leave Jonathan behind. Now we know that eventually his family, his brothers, David's mighty men will join him. But listen to this. Some people think that David spent a few months in the cave before anyone joined him. Look, I thought I was going to go crazy after two weeks of COVID isolation. How would you deal with months by yourself? Can you imagine the loneliness? Minimal human interaction, no entertainment, no iPhone, no TikTok, hidden in the darkness. When David lifts up his complaint in verses 1 and 2, it's not just his situation in life. But it's where his situation has led him. To his loneliness and grief. But you know what comforts David when he's faint? Verse 3. Faint meaning when he's overwhelmed. Look what comforts him. He says, you know my way. Notice that David doesn't say, when I grow faint, you give me what I ask for. Or that you promise to take this trial from me. And you remove all obstacles. No, he says, you know the way. Let us be reminded this morning that David didn't choose the life to go to the throne. He never attempted to become king when he was a shepherd boy. He never had aspirations to be king. He always protected and preserved Saul's life. No, it was God who chose him, God who anointed him, and God who put him on the path to the throne. 
even though the path is littered with traps, he says what comforts him is that he is there by divine appointment. In other words, because David has been promised the throne by God, even though the whole army of Israel stands in his way, even though the king of Israel, Saul himself, stands in his way, what comforts our brother is that God knows the way and He can guide His people around the obstacles. God will fulfill His promise in His servant. He knows the way. The plan will not fail. He knows the way. His servants are going to be assured of victory. He knows the way. Even if Satan stood before David, even if all of hell stood before David, could God not guide His servant through the traps? Well, dear congregation, is this not true for us as well? Sometimes we as God's people feel like we are the Israelites on the shores of the Red Sea. God has promised us salvation, but then as we look at the sea, we don't see any means or any hope of salvation. We look at our own sinfulness. We look at the condition of the world. We look at the sorry state of the church, and we think, is God unable to fulfill His Word? Let us be reminded that even though we may not know the way forward, We may not know the pathway to heaven. We may not know how our children are going to come to salvation. We don't know how our churches can be preserved. Let us take heart. The Lord knows the way. A word of application here. Notice notice to whom David directs his complaints this morning. Verses 1 and 2. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. To the Lord. Pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. This is so important that David was not ashamed to own his sadness before God. He was not ashamed to bring before God his depression. He was not ashamed to bring before God that he was scared, that he was afraid. He brings it to the Lord. Let us be reminded this morning that God wants Let me change that. God loves when we bring Him our anxieties, our fears, our depression. He is a Father, we are told in the Scriptures, who loves His children. And what Father, when His children are struggling, does not throw His arms around them and comfort them? There is comfort for God's people when we bring our trials and tribulations to Him. Notice this also. Twice He says He gives His trouble to the Lord, and then twice He says He brings it before the Lord. But at this time in God's plan of redemption, Jerusalem was the place where you would go to see the Lord. That's where God's manifest presence is. But where is David now? In the caves of Adullam. Be reminded, dear Christian, that there is no cave so deep, no place so dark, 
that God does not hear even the faintest cries of his people. God hears the cries of our hearts. And he responds and comforts us in the Lord Jesus. That's what we see in the second point, is that we see David's portion. In the Old Testament, each of the tribes were given what's called a portion or an inheritance in the land of Canaan when it was divided. The Hebrew word for portion literally means to have a part of something. But what was given in the division of the land was not just a plot of dirt and grass, but it was given a pledge that your family had an inheritance in the kingdom of God. It was a sign that right now and in the future, you had assurance, you had safety, you had security, you had provision. God would provide for all of your needs, both physical and spiritual. But again, I ask the question, where is David? He's in the caves of Adullam. He has even, while on the run, lived in Philistia, the sworn enemies of Israel. He's not on his family's land. He's not with his wife. He's not with his friends. He feels far from his portion, and so he lifts up his voice again and says, I'm abandoned. I have no refuge. I have no place in this life. In fact, if you look at verse 4, he invites you to look into his life and correct him if he's wrong. He says, look to the right. The place where people of honor and your friends would have sat. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. Jump to the end of verse 4. No one cares for my soul. He's saying, is there anyone who's advocating for me? Do I have any friends, any family who sticks up for me? What's his point? He says, there's no refuge in men. I've looked to men. I've looked to the king. I've looked to my friends, to my wife for refuge, and I have been lacking. It's been found wanting. Don't we know this is true in our Christian life as well? That if we put our trust and our hope and our safety in men and women, we will ultimately be disappointed, won't we? He says, there's no refuge for me. There's no safe place in men. Now we might ask this question this morning. Why did God even allow this to happen to David? You'd think in 1 Samuel 16 that when this lowly shepherd boy, remember the older, handsome, uh, stronger brothers were you know, cast aside. and do you, Is there another one? Well, yeah, we have a shepherd boy out in the field. This was the man God had chosen to take up the throne in Israel. You'd think that God might pave a path for him. Make it easy to get to the throne. Why does God even allow this to happen? To take place. Could God not have just given him the kingdom? Please listen closely. It was God's purpose that he should be abandoned of all assistance from men so that God's deliverance 
would be made more extraordinary. In other words, God stripped David of every good thing. He took away every blessing, every other refuge, every port of safety, so that David would rely upon him. That David would learn to trust in the Lord his God. I'm going to give you an answer to a very challenging question this morning. Why does God give us trials? God gives us trials to keep us on our knees and to look to Him for refuge. In verse 5, David realizes it's not God who needed to look and see at His right hand if there was anybody there. It was David who needed to look. And when he looks, he realizes that it's true what Psalm 16 says when it says, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. David realizes that God Almighty was with him. In fact, God has always been with him. Elsewhere in the Psalms, God's abiding presence is called too wonderful for me. even in the deepest recess of the earth, in the darkness of the cave, even though David was far from his family, God was present with him. Elsewhere, David writes in the Psalms, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the depths of the earth, if I even went down to hell, you are there. If I take my wings, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me, and listen to these words. I wonder if they're inspired by the caves. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. David realizes in the darkness of the cave that men will fail. Men will abandon you. Yet God has promised that He will never leave or forsake His people. There is no one who is so far gone. There is nobody who is too desperate, too hidden, too ruined for God not to find and to rescue them in their day of destruction. This is why David calls God his refuge. When no one else could give him safety, God could be his safe place. And his mighty hand was upon him and would guide him throughout his life. Well, beloved, we may not be in the caves of Adullam, but do, not, do we not need a safe refuge in the Lord? Where do we turn to when we find no refuge in men? When we exist under the pressures of our bosses? When our spouses disappoint us? When our children seem beyond correction? When this world fails us and we feel alone? Where is your refuge? 
You know, 89 times the word refuge is used throughout our ESV Bible. But only once it is used in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 6, So when God desired to show more convincingly, listen to this, to the heirs of the promise, you may not be an heir to the throne, but God has made a promise to you. And to, com- to convincingly show you the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guarantees it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge. Listen to this. We have a strong encouragement to hold fast to hope that is set before us. What is the hope? We have a sure and steadfast anchor. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as our forerunner on our behalf. The writer of Hebrews is saying that God's promise is certain for those who look to Christ for their refuge. God has promised that He will save all who come to Him. He has promised to deal with your sins He has promised to comfort you with His presence. He has promised to sanctify you, to glorify you, to vindicate you, even when all hell stands in your way. And there are traps innumerable. He says, if you are looking to Me, you are not alone. As Spurgeon says, God is only ever a prayer away from His people. See, there was only one man who was ever truly alone. Who was so far from God, he could say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Everyone forsook Jesus Christ. And unlike us, even God forsook Jesus Christ. Do you feel alone? Remember that Jesus was alone. Do you feel deserted? Remember that Jesus was deserted. But He was alone. He was deserted so that God would never desert you. He understands the struggle of your heart. And He promises to help. Beloved, be reminded as well, another word of application, there is no refuge in men. There is no lasting comfort. We can look to men and women and our friends and our family to try to find refuge and comfort for our loneliness, for the destitute nature of our soul, but it will not satisfy. Heed the words of David. I looked to my right and I found you, O God. Finally, let's see David's petition This Sunday morning, we come, verses 6 and 7, to David's petition. We have seen the hard path that God has asked him to walk. We have seen the nearness of God to David. And here David embraces God as his portion and his means of salvation. He says, you are my portion in the land of the living. A few moments ago, I mentioned that 
in the division of the land, each family was given a portion of the inheritance. Of course, as you know, except for one tribe, the tribe of Levi. They were given no inheritance in the land, which remember was their security, their provision, their safety. Because it says in Deuteronomy 10 that the Lord was to be their portion. You see, the land was not their pledge that God would take care of them. God Himself, His nearness, His presence was their pledge. Even though as a tribe and a family and a people, they had nothing in this world, they had no place to call their own, no home, no lasting promise of land, no tribal place. When God said He would be their portion, He said, I will be your peace. I will be your security. I will be your provision. So isn't it so profound that when David has everything stripped from him, his safety, his peace, his provision, he says, you are my refuge my portion in the land of the living. It's as if David says, you are my source of happiness. You are my source of blessing. You are my guarantee. And I will be content with what you provide. So what David says when he says, you are my portion, we're actually witnessing a profound profession of faith. He says, I am insecure. I am helpless. Men have failed. But when this world disappoints, my portion isn't in this world to begin with. My portion is in the Lord. He is my peace, security, provision, and assurance. And he looks to God to save his soul. We see that in verse half of verse 6 and verse 7. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison. We could call this David's cry of salvation. He's undone with his situation. There are no prospects of salvation. He looks to God and cries out, Save me. Liberate me. Set me free. So that, the last half of verse 7, I can give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you deal bountifully with me. David is in the caves of Adullam. But part of the solution to his loneliness is not only God's presence with him, but the presence of God's people with him in worship. What you see, what we see here, my friends, is that we have not, David has nothing to offer the Lord. He doesn't have any riches. He doesn't have any land. Yet the Lord is pleased to save him, not because of what David can bring to him, but by His grace. And don't we know later in David's life, of course, God would meet his need of loneliness. He would bring his brothers to the caves of Adullam. David's mighty men would join him. And he would later put him through these means on the throne of Israel. 
But it wasn't David's might or David's ingenuity or his courage. Salvation is purely of God's grace. And what is God's grace? It's His favor. That He would look upon helpless, lowly sinners in their failure, but who nevertheless trust in Christ. And He would fulfill His promises to them by grace. Let's conclude this morning. Psalm 142 begins with David's loneliness, but doesn't it have a satisfying ending? David's in danger, so God gives him safe refuge. He's been driven from his home, but he's found his portion in God. He is helpless, but now he has a Savior. He's in the cave, he's in the prison, but now he'll be, he knows he'll be liberated. He knows that God's promise is sure by His grace in Christ. Likewise for us. Let us not be surprised that the way to heaven is filled with traps. That Satan will throw innumerable, insurmountable difficulties in our way. But the certainty of His promise is never in doubt. He knows our way. All trials come from the Lord. With our backs against the wall, we should be on our knees with eyes castward, cast upwards to heaven. And let us pray as we'll sing in just a moment. As David confesses in the song, nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we know that in our life and in our trials, the path that you have us on, that there are many things that Satan puts in our way, seeking to dissuade us and discourage us from pursuing your promise. Yet, Lord, comfort us to know this morning that you know our way and that you have provided us a refuge in our loneliness and in our trials that you are with us and that you will never leave us or abandon us, that you who began a good work in us will bring it to its completion in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray for my dear brothers and sisters who are here this morning. Comfort them, Lord, in your presence, that you are with them even in their trials, and that by faith, by your grace, heaven is guaranteed to those who trust and look to you. We pray, Father, your blessing upon us and the rest of this worship service, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.